us today in the house of the Lord. And we're going to just dive right in. And we're going to begin uh, today, amen, going, directing your attention to the book of Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. If you have your Bible, say amen. 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 Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. I believe it's a small little book. Um, I have this. I got this new Bible, and these pages are just paper thin. So I can't. If I quickly flip, I might tear the page. It's a nice Bible, but the pages are just so delicate. Um, Titus chapter three and verse five. It says, "Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration." And renewing of the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're going to talk about that for for a few moments this morning. Um, And also let you know about a couple of objectives that we have again on this uh, Sunday morning's lesson about uh, holiness. And specifically we're going to talk about seven holiness principles that are in the word of God and that we find from scripture. Uh, And so by the end of today you should be able to explain Holiness standards, what holiness standards are, and establish a difference between true holiness and legalism. Um, We're going to talk about three types of holiness standards uh, and be able to differentiate them. Uh, We're going to also be able to conclude that it is internal holiness that produces outward holiness. And the... uh, and that the out, uh, internal holiness produces outward holiness, but that the outward manifestation is useless without the internal. So they are codependent, if you will. Uh, you can be completely covered, your body from head to toe, with not even your eyes showing. There's religions that have that. They're completely covered. Amen. Uh, but it does not indicate that the inside um, is uh, perfect and holy. Uh, There must be internal and outward holiness. Uh, And also we're going to uh, teach today that holiness is not a means of salvation, but it is rather a result of salvation. It is an outflow from salvation. And uh, also going to talk about a few things, um, even affecting women versus men and some of the uh, different ways and uh, so we're going to dive right into the, this lesson this morning on the seven holiness principles. And the first principle that we're going to talk about this morning is that holiness involves the negative, if you will, concept of separation from the world, from humanistic philosophies and so forth. It involves that there's a negative side and a positive side. There's the first side that is uh, the negative concept of separation, so withdrawing from the world. And then there's a positive side to it that uh, balances it out, if you will. And it is that concept of dedication to the Lord. So you can't be holy just by separating yourself from the world. And we've talked about this uh, before in the last several uh, lessons uh, but it is it cannot be where it's just separation from the world. And you look the part 
but there's no real dedication to God. There has to be the balanced approach to holiness. I'm not just going to stop hanging around my my old worldly friends that like to club, go to the club and drink and dance and party and sleep around. I'm not just going to stop hanging around them. Now I'm going to hang around the people of God. I'm not just going to stop uh, the lying and the cheating and, and the and, and the philandering. But now I'm going to I'm going to live for God. I'm going to draw closer to Him. And there has to be that balanced approach, Amen. In ho- in holiness, for the Word of God says, and this is found in Second Corinthians chapter uh, six and seventeen. It says, "Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord." And touch not the unclean thing. But it did not stop there. It doesn't stop with say, don't uh, touch the unclean thing and be separate. But it can, the word of God continues and it says, and I will receive you. And, you and, and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. There, there is a separating that has to happen. And then there has to be the, the equally as important, the, the dedication to God. It, when God delivers you from the, the life you used to live, and God sets a, person's, a person free from, from the vices that used to hold them down, amen, God delivers them, and, and they come out from that life, but they have also got to uh, rejoin themselves to something that's greater and something that's more powerful, and that is a the Holy Ghost and the, the relationship that God wants to have. Because what God is saying in this scripture, it's not just come out from among them and be separate and, and touch not the unclean thing. But God begins to talk about, uh, he begins to use terms about relation that are relational terms. He says, I'm going to be a father to you. That's a relationship. I, you're going to be my sons and my daughters. You, that's relationship. God is not just saying, come out from among them. But God's saying, now, now I want you to begin to build a relationship with me. Right. And in that process of, of separating uh, from the world and, and building a relationship with God, we begin to become more like Him. And we begin to become holy as He is holy. And God wants and God desires today relationship with His people. God is desiring to know you. And God's desiring, uh, it's God's desire that you have that desire to know Him in return. And say, God, I I want you to be that father to me, Lord. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to know you as the everlasting father. The one that never goes away. The one that never leaves me. And that never forsakes me. God is desiring to set up in this place today, not just a a line of separation from the world, but he's also desiring to establish some personal altars in your life where you say, God, I want the relationship that you have for my life. I want to know you as a father that will not abuse me, a father that will not run out on me, but a father that will love me, a father that will build that relationship with me and God wants to build relationship with his people today having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit the flesh and the spirit that's the external and the internal that God is saying you've got to cleanse yourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. There's going to be some things that God says, okay, you've got to do this thing now. 
You've got to take off this and, and put on this. You've got to get away from this and get closer to this. You've got to do that. Right. And it's the flesh and the spirit that God is concerned about. And it's perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the first holiness principle is, uh, involves the two concepts of uh, the negative side of separation and the positive side of dedication to God. And the second holiness principle that we'll talk about today is that we are not saved by works. We read that in Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us Amen. by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So some people, they look at a scripture like Titus 3 and 5 and say, well, you know, you don't have to do anything. You just accept that his plan of salvation. You accept his love and, and everything's fine. But they, they, you've got to continue reading about the washing of regeneration. What is the washing? What is the renewing of the Holy Ghost? Those are not uh, necessarily just uh, uh, salvation by works, but there, there are some things that you've got, we've got to do. Yeah. It, it's a balanced approach. And so we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Unto good works. So is the scripture contradicting itself? Or is the scripture in, in, in complete agreement? I'll read that again. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There's a certain way in which God wants us to walk in. God wants us to live holy. That walking is a continuous thing. I'm walking in the newness of life. I'm walking in revelation. I'm walking in understanding. I'm not saved by my works, but I'm saved unto good works. Amen. It is, it is, I am his workmanship that's created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God is saving me so that, that I can begin to live an overcoming life, so that I can begin to be an example to somebody else that they can see my good works. And what? Say, oh, man, what a great person that is. No, it's so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Even I'm going to read that again. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. This is found in James chapter 2 and verse 17 through 18. A man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. James says, And I will show thee my faith by my works. Amen. People say, you know, it's just it's faith and it's just trust in God, and just God's gonna help see it through no matter what. Uh, just trust in his grace that covers all of your sins. 
and just go ahead and keep living the way you're living. Don't make any necessary real steps. Just trust in the grace of God. And don't have any good works because it's not by works that we're saved. Uh, but the but they're beginning to misinterpret the scripture because we are creating Christ Jesus unto good works. We are his workmanship. Yeah. Creating Christ Jesus unto good works. It's faith with works. That's why Jesus could talk to the man with the withered hand. And he would say, stretch forth your hand. If you believe I can heal you, begin to just stretch it forth. That withered hand that was that was all curled up and all, all, all mangled up, he just said, stretch it forth. Well, God, you see that my hand is it's it's mangled up, it's it's contorted, it's twisted, it's it's withered, it won't move, it, it hasn't stretched, the muscles they might break if I try and all the, these different things. But he said, stretch forth thine hand. And he began to just stretch it forth just a little bit, and God began to help him a little bit more and a little bit more. And so it's faith with works. So the second holiness principle is we are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. The third holiness principle we're going to talk about is holiness is not a means of earning salvation. You don't necessarily just say, well, I'm going to... uh, I'm going to go straight to the holiness standards of the church and I'm going to do all those so I can be saved. It's not a means of earning salvation. Holiness is rather a result of experiencing true, genuine salvation, true, genuine transformation. When God begins to work in a person's life in an altar of repentance and they begin to, to cry out to God and reach out to God and, God's, and God works in their life and they're saying, God, take my life, whatever you want from me, God. God, use my life. God, I want to be what you want me to be. And God gives them the Holy Ghost and they begin to speak in tongues and God does a new work in their life. Amen. They have new appetites and new desires and they find themselves wanting to please the Lord and wanting to do what's right and they find that holiness becomes a result of their salvation and not the means of earning salvation. They didn't come to an altar and say, okay, God, if I'll, if I'll take off all of my all of my jewelry, if I'll, if I'll take off all of my makeup, God, will you accept me? God says, that's not how it works. Just give me your heart and I'll, I'll work in your life. And after God works in a person's life, suddenly they begin to feel, you know what, God's speaking to me to, to let go of some things and to grab a hold of some other things. And it becomes a result of the salvation, the salvific experience. It is a result of experiencing it. Titus 3 and 5, we read that a moment ago, but Titus 3 and verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. The faithful saying that he's going to affirm constantly is that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So that salvation experience that happens at an altar. God said, I want you to maintain some good works. I want you to begin to build some new habits and develop some new appetites. And God will help us. As a result of finding him, as a result of getting in God's presence, there's going to be some things that come out from that experience. The fourth principle that I'm talk that we're going to talk about now is 
is that God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. God demands the outward sign of the inward work, if you will. That external witness of our internal holiness. I'll say that again. God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5 and 16. We quoted this a moment ago. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It goes without saying that external compliance is is worthless before God unless there's also an internal reality of holiness. Let your light so shine before men. That light is something that has to happen on in the internal part of a human being. Right. Just like the light in the light bulb is internal. It's, it's that those two prongs, those two pieces of material that are connecting together. When they touch, it produces light. And it's an internal thing. The light is the internal thing in that light bulb. But if that light is, if, if, those, if the connection's made in that light bulb, it's going to shine forth. It's going to illuminate. And everybody else around is going to see, yeah, there's light coming from the light bulb. And people are going to, uh, the Lord makes the, the illustration and the example, the demand, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God wants there to be uh, an internal reality of holiness, amen, that is producing something on the outside that the world can look at and say, wow, you are glowing, Brother Lorenzo. You are glowing. There's a glow upon your face. You're not uh, downtrodden. You're not distressed. Like everybody else, what is it about you? Uh, there's a, there is many times a literal physiological light that, that comes from people's faces. I've seen it before as someone that comes into church and they, they, they look so dark and so dreary and so downtrodden. Uh, and then God works in their life in an altar call and they're glowing and they're excited and they're happy. And you can physically see it on their faces. Their light is shining and the world sees that and the world recognizes Oh, there must be God at work in this world. There must still be a God in heaven that's alive in 2019 because I see his resemblance on your face and on your person. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God demands an external witness of an internal holiness. And the fifth principle today is that God gives us Three holiness teachers to show us how to live a life that pleases him. God allows, if you will, teachers into a person's life to show them, to reveal to them how to live a life that pleases him. The supreme source of holiness teaching is the Bible itself. Therefore, a holiness standard must be either a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. A holiness standard must be either a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. It's very easy to fall into the first half of that statement and say, well, I want to see a specific biblical statement that says 
Throw away the pack of cigarettes. But it's the one that has the desire to please God that's looking, okay, is there, is there biblical principles in the word of God that can help me in my life? Is there, is there, maybe there's not a specific biblical statement that says don't steal candy from the, the gas station. But there's a biblical principle that's at play. And so the supreme source of holiness teaching is a Bible itself. And the second thing is God has also given us spiritual leadership in the church to help us to apply biblical principles to the situations that we encounter in contemporary life. God gives to the church gifts that are spiritual leadership. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's going to be times that God speaks and uses the leadership in the church to help us to apply a biblical principle to our lives. And when we have to understand that, you know what, God is using the pastor or or the evangelist to help guide us and to direct us. To the Bible says for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the third thing is finally, and this is something that if you will allow it to work in your life, you will experience this. The third teacher that God gives us to help us with holiness is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost teaches us directly through internal promptings and convictions if we listen to it. You say, well, uh, I felt something. I felt in prayer, God, tell me to do this. But I don't necessarily see the script in the word of God. But I just felt like God said to throw out my television. Or God says, turn off that program. Turn that off. Shut it down. We're saying, well, I don't necessarily see in the Bible specific X, Y, and Z. But the third holiness teacher is the Holy Ghost. That teaches us directly through internal promptings and convictions. And if we listen to it, if we are sensitive to the voice of God, God is using that Holy Ghost that's on the inside and says, get rid of that in your life. You say, well, that's not necessarily bad, but God wants to give some convictions to people that will help you eliminate the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. John chapter 14 and verse 26 illustrates this point. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, that's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a, the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. The name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. Still one God. Amen. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father sends in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John chapter 16 and verse number 13 says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, 
that shall he speak, and he and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God, if you can keep it resident on the inside. And now we begin to get to even, there's even some fuzzy gray areas in life that there's not necessarily scriptures for. You could be on your, on your uh, smartphone device. You could be looking at stuff on your smartphone and thinking, well, this is not television. It's fine. And you're, you're looking at stuff and the Holy Ghost says, turn that off. Delete that app. Delete your account. Yeah. The pastor didn't preach it. The word of God didn't say it. But if you got the Holy Ghost, it will begin to lead you to guide you. Turn that off. Delete your account. Separate yourself from. Stop following that person on Instagram. Stop following that person. Stop being friends with that person on Facebook. And and you're saying, whoa, what's going on in my life? God's trying to get involved in your life. And God's trying to lead you and to guide you. And to help you to to keep your eyes fixated upon him. The Holy Ghost, if you'll not just stand on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday night, but the Holy Ghost, if you'll maintain it throughout the week, and if you'll, you'll speak in tongues daily and say, God, work in my life. God, help me. Get, get through to me, God. Work in me, God. That Holy Ghost, amen, will work in your life. And it will say, you know what, brother, no, you need to stop doing this. The Holy Ghost will lead us. It will guide us. It's trying to lead us and guide us. Even in a service like today, the Holy Ghost wants to direct and steer and, and help us navigate this service and how we, how we go about, how we approach it. And the Holy Ghost wants to do that in your life on a daily, regular basis. Also to note that our three holiness teachers, the Bible, the ministry, and the Holy Ghost, they work together. And they complement one another. But the Bible is always the final authority. God does not give human beings the right to change his message. Nor the indwelling spirit of God to speak contrary to the written word of God that he himself inspired. You say, well, I flipped on this, uh, this, this show and the preacher said to do this. And you go to the word of God and say, well... This actually contradicts that. Then the word of God takes precedence over anything else in this world. And we have to be able to understand and to distinguish the the authority and the authenticity and the power that's in the word of God. This is the final authority. The word of God is a final authority. And the Bible, the sixth principle that we're talking about. Today of the seven holiness principles, the sixth principle is the Bible teaches us three kinds of holiness standards to which God expects every mature Christian to adhere to. The first is Bible standards, and these are explicitly commanded in Scripture, and they demand immediate obedience. There is Bible standards. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery, and, and thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And, 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 thou, and all of these different these commandments and these, these, uh, these standards that are set in the word of God, that is, uh, that's the first kind of holiness standard to which God expects mature Christians to adhere to. And the second holiness standard is a church standard. And this is where a lot of us can... We can resist and we can get off. 
And we think, well, the church doesn't have the ability to set a standard, but yet you can go to work for Macy's and they'll set, in, they'll set a standard of your dress. You can go to work for, if you go to law school and you, can, uh, you join a law firm and have that prestigious opportunity, they'll require you wear a suit and tie. They, they, set, they set corporate standards. Yeah. I work for Del Monte Foods and they set a corporate standard. You're to tuck in your shirt. You're to wear slacks and a button-up dress shirt. And they set standards. And we adhere to standards readily in the world. But when the church wants to set a standard for how we live and how we dress, we say, well, wait a minute. You don't have that authority. There are church standards. And these are established by spiritual leadership to deal with the practical application of of scriptural principles in modern situations. And they are usually understood and implemented gradually as a believer matures in the Lord. And God would speak to you and God would say, you know what? You need to cover up your body so that the men that are visual are not constantly struggling looking at you all the time. And vice versa. There are church standards and then there are personal standards We talked about this a moment ago. These are prompted by the Holy Ghost in individual lives due to the unique background of each believer. And they may have no relevance to any other behavior. If I may for a moment borrow something I heard yesterday uh, talking about personal standards. Uh, Sister Raina was sharing that. Is it okay if I share this, Paul? Sister Raina was sharing that, you know, the life she came from before the Lord, she used to cuss all the time. And so her, for her, that, that cussing was a real struggle in her life. And she came to God, and, and she didn't want to cuss no more, and she didn't want to even use generic cuss words. She wanted to keep clear of that. And so when she met Brother Paul, he said, shoot, just kind of a generic word. But to her, that, that was a personal standard. We're not, I don't want to talk that way. And you say, you know, you're not going to go to hell for saying that. It's not a bad word, but there, there's some things that God will even give, give, deal with you in your life personally. This is a personal standard of mine. We're just going to do this to please the Lord. There, there's some personal, and this kind of falls into that, that realm of personal convictions. Yeah. There's some personal convictions that God has given me. But yeah. I'm just going to live holy. I'm going to stay covered up. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to just. Uh, I'm gonna keep my hair nice and short. The Bible says yeah, the, the hair should be coming down, going long. I'm just gonna keep my hair nice and trim. There's lots of things. Holiness standards are not the central part of holiness, though. Holiness standards are not the central part of holiness, but it is an internal work of God's Spirit. However, they are an external sign that an authentic work of salvation and subsequent Christian maturity has taken place in your life. The holiness standards on the outside is because there's been some workings in the inner part of your being and you begin to mature. When I was a baby, I was fed, I don't know if I was fed squeezers back then like we feed Lene, but I was fed probably some Gerber baby food in a little jar. And that was perfectly good for me. And it helped me. But as I began to come of age, I began to eat a little bit more solid food. 
when I was a baby, and probably sometimes you might see my little baby girl, she's 15 months. She may be flying around this place in a diaper, running crazy like a banshee Indian, screaming and everything. But as she gets a little bit older, and she decides to run around in her underwear, that's, that, nah, we're, that's not okay. So there, there's, there's levels of maturity and growth that have to happen in a person's life. You say, well, that, that, you know, when I first came to God, it seemed like everything was fine. And God says, now, Sister Gina, I want to show you something in the Holy Ghost about this particular area of your life. Oh, wow, God, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that. Thank you. I'm going to implement that into my life. It's not okay to always run around in a diaper. You've got to put some clothes on, some shoes on. you got to comb your hair. And we begin to mature in the Lord. We begin to become more like him. And then a person that is 18 years of age and they become an adult, according to American standards, uh, they're expected to, to act and behave a certain way. And, this, and we're wrapping up here very quickly. The seventh holiness standard is because holiness principles deal more with our creation than with our culture. God emphasizes the principles differently for women than for men. The reason that there seems to be more external standards for women, by and large, is that God created men and women differently. Surprise. We're different creatures. We're made differently. Physiologically, uh, and all of the different hormonal levels and all the different... Things that go in the, the X and the Y chromosomes, and I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not even that. I'm not well versed in all that, but I, I understand that there's some there's some differences. There's some real differences in women versus men. God made us different from the opposite sex, and we can't. God doesn't want the church to blend the lines. God doesn't want the church to, uh, to to blend the lines and to create this fuzzy gray area in our lives, so we can't even begin to distinguish. Amen. For example. For example, men are stimulated by sight. Men are visually stimulated. It's how the man is set up to be. It's how they're, they're designed. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and 28, Whosoever looks on a woman. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the men. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. A man is usually attracted to a woman physically before he connects to her emotionally. For the men, it's, it's, the, it's the visual. It's, it's the insatiable appetite of a man's eyes that they struggle with. A man's eyes are insatiable. They cannot be uh, satisfied. They're always looking for looking and looking and looking, and, and they're just looking. They want to just consume visually. That's how men are. They just, they consume visually. Many men are even visual learners. They they have to see things to understand to learn. A man is usually attracted to a woman physically before he connects to her emotionally. This is why it is all is is. This is why men almost exclusively buy pornography. Statistics tell us that even homosexual men actually purchase the majority of pornographic magazines published for women. The men are the visual ones. 
And the women, on the other hand, are more often than not stimulated by touch, either a physical touch or an emotional touch. So while a woman is commanded to appear a certain way so that the man is affected, say that again, so while a woman is commanded to appear in a certain way, how she conducts herself on a visual scale, the man is commanded to act a certain way so that the woman is not affected. There's differences in men and women. And the Bible makes a, a big deal about how the women dress and, con, and, and conduct themselves and, and get ready and what they put on. And the Bible makes a big deal about the man on the inside. The Bible makes a big deal about the man, how he's to act. He's to love his wife. And the Bible hits, some, I used to think as growing up that the Bible hits the women a lot with scripture about how they're to uh, wear that which pertains to a, a woman, not to a man. And they're not to wear, uh, uh, they're to be shamefaced and, and all of these different things that are external on the, out, on the outside. But equally as important, the, the scripture hits the men and says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Bible hits the man and says uh, that we're to, we're to do X, Y, and Z. We're to uh, make sure that it's the inward man uh, that we're taking care of. We're going to dive into that in, in several lessons that are ahead. But uh, it's not going to be uh, where we just hit on the women and hit on the women and hit on the women and just all of these different clothesline messages. But there, there's also going to be some stuff where we, we talk about the man and, and, the, and controlling our minds. And controlling our eyes and how we conduct and how we live in this present world. And all of these things, these are probably not the most exciting things that a pastor teaches on a Sunday morning. But all of these things have latent potential and power in the message. Because it is a message like this. Amen. That produces an apostolic church that is separate from the world, that has gotten a hold of God, and that understands the distinction that God wants to make between His people and the world around them. And this type of teaching, though it may not be the most exciting teaching, will help you to understand who you are, who we are as a church in God, and that when we live holy and we teach this and we preach this, amen, there is something that will come out from this message. And the Lord will begin to confirm His word with signs and wonders and divers miracles. Yes. I believe that I've, I've seen it with my own with my own eyes. I've seen times that Amen. My pastor in back in San Jose would stand me in the pulpit and be preaching and teaching holiness and, and just preaching hard and preaching it straight. And he would say, God's going to confirm this message today. And there would be somebody inevitably that comes that came to a, a, the altar on that particular service. And God delivers them from, from the vices of sin. And God fills them with the Holy Ghost. And there's redemption. There's redemptive lift that takes place. God will confirm His word today. Because this is a message amen, that the apostolics preached in the book of Acts. And they taught it. And they lived it. And they believed it. And we've got to be holy because He's holy.
We're going to get to other messages and lessons where we teach on love and we teach on grace and we teach on all these things. And they are all vital and all important. Amen. But we can't get hung up on any certain area of the scripture. We've got to be a well-rounded, amen, a well-founded church that understands the different aspects of scripture and how they pertain and how they relate to our lives. God wants there to be an apostolic, Pentecostal, powerful church right here in the city of Lathrop. God wants you, amen, to resemble Him to the world around you, that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And He said, if I, the Son of Man, be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And once again, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And I want to lift him up in my words, in my actions, in my dress, in my behavior, in my conversation, in every area of my life. I want the world around me to see Jesus on the inside of my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't we clap our hands one more time for the Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Can never stress enough the importance of teaching. Amen. Teaching is what helps to sustain us. Teaching, we slow it down and we begin to not just proclaim, we begin to explain the scriptures. And teaching will help you to become grounded. Amen. One preacher said, don't plant daisies, plant oak trees. And teaching like this is my prayer that it helps your roots to go deeper in God. And you become that oak tree, if you will, that has those deep roots and understanding of the word of God. That when things come against your life, I'm founded, I'm grounded in this word. And nothing's going to shake me. And we want to be, amen, a church, a multi-generational church. Amen. That it's not just grandma and grandpa that get it, but they can pass it down to kids and grandkids and great grandkids. It has some keeping power, some sustaining power. Why don't we stand one more time? Amen. We're going to pray. Amen. And uh, we're going to take a a few moments, a few minutes here today for a a break. And we're going to start back up here in about three or so minutes. Uh, And we're going to move forward in the service. God's going to move here this morning. Amen. I am anxiously anticipating and awaiting what God is going to do here this morning.